Thank you so much for joining us online. We want Bethany to be a place where people can get connected to God, to each other, and to the world. If you would like someone to talk to or to pray for you, you can email us at prayer at bethanysite.com. We also greatly appreciate everyone that gives so generously at Bethany. If you'd like to give, you can do so by clicking Give in the top right menu on our homepage at bethanysite.com. Again, thank you for joining us online. We hope that this service will be a blessing to you. It's so hard for us to wrestle with this idea, with this concept of, of identity and, and what it means for us to like live into the fullness of our identity is because this doubt that we have deep down inside of us, this, this feeling or this question that we wonder whether or not God could really use us. Like we wonder, does he, does he truly have a plan and a purpose for my life and a way in which he can use me to impact people, to impact my family and my community? And then this thing sneaks in called comparison. Theodore Roosevelt called comparison the thief of joy because of the way in which it, it just helps us so easily see what we would say they're the victories or the successes of other people and then the failures that we have in our own lives. All of the things that hold us back, all of those doubts, and this, this feeling that it'd be so much easier for God to use someone else oftentimes, or these inadequacies we have, or these insufficiencies. In fact, it's hard for us to reconcile these words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 that says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance which God prepared in advance for us to do. And our hope is that we can, we can somehow overcome these and, and understand these feelings that we have deep down inside because what we recognize and we see is that our identity plays a huge part in how we live our lives, that our identity then shapes our actions. Dallas Willard says it this way. He says, actions are not impositions on who you are, but they are expressions of who you are which I think is extremely countercultural. This idea that there could be something, and I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey, but there could be something deep down inside of you that forms your identity. And out of that, then you begin to express and live out that truth and that calling in your life. And so that's what we've been looking at over these last couple weeks. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, if we haven't met before. And before we move into kind of what we're looking at in the passage for this week, I just got to say, if you uh, were here for last week, you know that it was an incredible weekend. We did something called our Youth Takeover Weekend. It's probably one of my favorite weekends of the year so far, where our student ministries, our students, uh, student ministry volunteers, our student ministry staff took over everything upstairs. They led our service. Uh, they helped out in the lobby. They were greeters, ushers, and you got to see them. And I thought it was incredible. So I just want to take a second. Let's give them a hand for our students and student staff that made that possible. If you missed that, you can go back and watch last week's service because even what happened in the service, I thought, here's what I thought, and many of you probably thought this as well. One, it was just a unifying experience for our church, but also there's a lot of hope and there's a lot of promise in the next generation of the church, and you got to see that firsthand and seeing those kids and the, the impact that they're having. And they talked about, in our service, Pastor Stu and Sarah and John talked to this idea that you matter now. 
as part of your identity. And this is what I think we need to hear because yes, students might need to hear that where they're wondering what's next and, and they're waiting for God to use them. But even as adults, we get in this, this rhythm of feeling like, well, I'm waiting for that next promotion or that, that next season of life until God can truly use me. But the reality is he can use you now. But the first thing we have to do is overcome these doubts that we wrestle with so deeply. And so here's the question I want you to think about as we move through today. What doubts and excuses are holding you back from living out your true identity? What are the things in your life that are holding you back, the questions that you have? And to do that, we're going to look at the story of Moses. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Exodus chapter 3. If you have your phone, you can turn there in your Bible app, or you can pull up the Bethany app if you want to follow along. But we're going to look at this story of Moses and some of the doubts that he felt. But to get you up to speed, and I know for some of you this is going to be reviewed, but I want to get you up to speed on where we're picking up this story in Exodus chapter 3, the story of Moses and his doubts. And so there's a group of people called the Israelites. And the Israelites have been enslaved in Egypt at this point for over 400 years. And this was something that Moses was actually born into. He's an Israelite himself. He was born into that in Egypt. And and at 40 years old, he found himself running from Pharaoh, who was pursuing him and trying to kill him. And he's been living in this place called Midian for the last 40 years. And he finds himself then, 40 years later, so he's 80 years old now, interacting as he's a shepherd out in the fields with a bush that's on fire, But as he gets closer, he can see that it's not being burnt up. So he recognizes that something's happening. And then he hears God's voice calling to him out of this burning bush. It says, Moses, Moses. And as he approaches, God tells him that this ground that you stand on is now holy ground that you should take your shoes off. And he sees the power of what is happening the power of the engagement, the conversation that he's having with God to the point that the Bible says that he hid his face because he's recognized that this area he was in was now made holy by God's presence. And in this, God has a calling for him. God has a challenge for him in which he wants to draw him into something. And just like many of us, Moses is full of doubts and concerns. We're going to pick it up. Exodus chapter 3, verse 9. This is God speaking. It says, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you. I'm sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And he's given this incredibly difficult task. Now think of this moment that he's in, though. This is something, if you've ever made a decision in your life, like this is exactly what you've prayed for that God would speak to you so clearly that you know this is exactly what you're supposed to do. That he would would literally use his voice to tell you, this is what I'm calling you to. This is what I want you to live out. But in the midst of that, in the midst of knowing exactly what what he's supposed to do, we still see Moses full of these doubts, full of of these concerns in how he's going to live his life out. And I remember uh, when my wife and I, about eight years ago, we're interviewing for the job here at this church. And many of you have heard this story, but we came and we visited. And man, we were uh, from Arizona. We were set in Arizona. As parents, uh, parents in the room, you'll recognize how valuable this was. We had family all around us for our two young boys. And we had free babysitting. Amen, right? In fact, this is how spoiled we were. We were so spoiled that we had an overnight babysitter about once a week 
every week for most of the first five years of our marriage. It was incredible how spoiled we were. And so as we were coming out here to interview and, and to be a part of this place called Puyallup that I could not pronounce for sure, um, and definitely didn't really know anyone in the area, over the course of this weekend, God started to reveal something to my wife and I. This way in which we were just, just drawn into this church and this group of people that we love being a part of. But I remember it was Sunday afternoon, and if you've heard me tell this story, it's because it's so impactful, like it's burned into my memory. It was Sunday afternoon, and we've had, over the course of this weekend, plenty of time to talk to everyone but each other. Like, we've been busy, we've been interviewing, we've been doing all of those things. And we get back to our hotel room on Sunday afternoon after having all of these conversations and interviews, and we're actually, we're in the, I think it's Best Western right over here. We walk into our room, and my wife, whose whole family lives in Arizona, and has been there her whole life, was born in Arizona, goes, you know we're moving to Washington, right? <laughs> now, I don't want you to raise your hand, guys, but have you ever had a time where you knew your wife was right, but you weren't ready to admit it yet? <laughs> like, that was this moment. I had been feeling it, but when she expressed it, there was something, like, my natural response wasn't to get excited and be joyful. I was actually kind of mad. I was like, how dare you? We haven't even talked about it. We haven't processed all of the different implications that are involved in this. But there was something for me in hearing my wife, who had so much support and so much family, feeling this and expressing this, that I knew it was exactly what I was feeling. But my natural response wasn't then to, to get excited and to lean into that. But my natural response was actually to start to think about all of the reasons that it couldn't work all of the different challenges that we were going to face, all of the different ways in which this was going to affect our lives and the ways in which we felt like we didn't have enough, that we needed something different, that we weren't ready for something like this. And I think that's what we see in the words of, of Moses. Look at his response, Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And look at this response from God in verse 12. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now Moses asks this, this question that's so human that we can resonate with. In this moment, he gets this heavy calling from God, this difficult calling. And the first question he asks is like, who am I? Why me? Why is it that you would choose me? And instead of responding to that, God does something completely different. He doesn't say anything about Moses. He says something about himself. That he will be present. That he will be sufficient. And that's the foundation. Like as we've moved through this whole series, as we're spending time together today, as we're singing these songs, the foundation of who we are as a church and why we exist is this thing called the gospel. This idea of, of the life of Jesus Christ walking on this earth, fully man and fully God. And his death as, as a sacrifice or a payment, or we use the word atonement for our sin and our brokenness. And the fact that three days later, he was raised from the dead, defeating death and defeating the grave. But here's what that allows us. Here's what this does. This offers us now an opportunity to have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. The beauty of that opportunity we have if we step into a relationship with Jesus Christ and his presence and the way in which, catch this, the way in which through that relationship, through that decision, we can do things through him that we could never do on our own. 
that we've seen, we've seen people overcome addiction. We've seen marriages restored. We've seen lives transformed through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ at work within people's lives. So when Moses says, well, who am I? Why me? God responds about his character and who he is. And maybe this is what Moses needed to hear, that, that God was with him, that God would, would provide his presence. Like I was thinking about when I, would, when I taught my son to ride his bike. Every, everyone does it a little bit different, but I would hold on to the back of my son's uh, shirt. I think I'd probably grab onto it, and then I'd hold the handlebars with one hand. And then you run beside them. Everyone does some sort of version of the same thing. And my son's tendency, my youngest son, was when he was learning, as he was going, every few seconds, he would reach over and he'd try to grab my arm. Like he could feel that I was there, but he needed to be reminded over and over again. And when he got in like big trouble, he got really nervous, he'd let go of both hands and reach over and try to grab me. I'm not sure if you've ever ridden a bike, but that's not a great system. But he had this feeling like he needed to know that I was there, that I was present. And so as, as God's starting this interaction with Moses, there's beauty in him saying, you'll have me, that I will be with you, that I am bringing my presence alongside you. And, and here's what I want to look at. There's a couple doubts then that Moses expresses in response to that. And my hope is that maybe some of these give language or resonate with the doubts that you're feeling in your life right now. The things that are holding you back and living out your true identity. Or, or maybe this reminds you of something that you've been experiencing. But something that's causing you to not live the life that you feel like God is intending you to live. The first doubt that Moses expresses in verse 13 is, what if I don't have the answers? Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of our fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? This completely human question, what if I'm not fully prepared? Like what if something comes up that I'm not ready for, that I can't adapt to a question that I can't answer. And here's what I want to do. I want to say this, and I want to have you repeat it after me, because maybe this will be freeing for you. Okay, ready? I want you to repeat after me. I don't know everything. Yeah. Some of you guys have been married like 30 years. You've never heard your spouse say that. They just admitted it. I don't know everything. The recognition that if we are waiting till we're prepared, if we're waiting till we have all the answers, we will never get there. We'll never, and I think this can be, um, I think a lot of this can be based on your personality. Like the planners in the room, uh, I'd have you raise your hands, but that's not enough notice, so I won't. Uh, the planners in the room look at this and they go, that makes so much sense. Like I can resonate that with that. My wife and I are both um, pretty extreme planners, but she's a little bit more extreme than me. And we have this, this joke that we always kind of run over with each other. And, and that's this, that she can be super chill she can be super laid back, that she can totally go with the flow. All she needs is like every bit of information ever possible about a situation beforehand, right? And then she's super laid back. Like as long as she knows when it is, uh, what, how long it's going to go, what we're going to do, who's going to be there, what she should bring, what she should wear, as long as she has all of the details beforehand, then she's super laid back. And she's like, that's totally me. But for planners, you're like, okay, this is a great question. For Moses to ask, what if I find myself in a situation where I'm not prepared? I don't have the answers. And the hope would be this, that recognizing that that will happen allows us to, to okay, there is this sense of uncertainty in how we live our lives each and every day. 
And we hope that that would push us back into greater faith, greater trust in God, recognizing that we are insufficient and trusting in him to provide for us. Here's God's words in response. In verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. He's using this kind of word association with the name Yahweh. And in this, he's expressing to Moses his power. It's this idea of all-powerful God. In, In Moses' time, this would have been the God, capital G, above all gods, lowercase g. That he has the power that he has the strength. And, and, and the, this would allow us to take the pressure off of ourselves to be fully prepared, to have all the answers and trust in the fact that God is who he says he is. One commentator wrote this way, that you won't have all of the answers, but you'll have all of him. The beauty of recognizing that he is there when we are insufficient. The second doubt that Moses expresses is what if I don't have the influence If you're taking notes in our app, you can write that down. What if I don't have the influence? Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? This idea of like, what if they don't trust me? What if I embarrass myself? You're calling me to leadership, God. So now, not only what if I have doubts, but what if the other people that you've placed me ahead of, the other people you're calling me to lead, also have doubts? Then what do I do in response to that? And God does something beautiful here and gives him some tools. Over the next several verses, and you can read this this week if you want, he gives him three different signs. The first one is he says, Moses, I want you to take that staff that you're in your hand, and I want you to throw it on the ground. And as Moses does that, it turns into a snake immediately. Now this is well, I think it's so funny how human this story is because the Bible actually says that Moses throws it on the ground and when he realizes it's a snake, he runs away. All the snake like people are like, yeah, that makes sense. So he throws it on the ground, it becomes a snake, and then he picks it back up. Next, he takes his hand on God's direction and puts it in his cloak and takes it back out and it's leprous. And then he puts it back in again and takes it out and it's been completely healed. And God says, okay, if those two things don't work, here's one more. I want you to take some water out of the Nile I want you to pour it onto the ground and it will become blood. So in this moment, Moses is saying, well, well, what if they don't listen to me? What if they don't believe me? I have, I have these doubts. What if they don't trust in my influence? God says, I'm going to give you some tools, but here's what's important. We chose that word influence very intentionally because I think there's more to this idea of God having placed you in a specific place of influence. See, over the course of the week, there's 168 hours that you have, seven times 24. Now, for a lot of you, you spend one hour a week here as a part of our services where we're, we're growing together, we're worshiping together, we're learning more about Christ. Maybe you're here a second hour and you're serving. Maybe you come back for a community group or you're in an adult class or you're serving at our kids club throughout the week. But in general, let's assume you're here for one hour a week on average. That means each and every week, there are 167 hours where you are sent out into your family, into your neighborhood, into your job, into your community, into all of these different areas. And here's what I want you to hear, that you have influence in an area that no one else in this room will. Think about what that means. 
Think about this opportunity that God has placed you in. Yes, the, the natural tendency is to feel the pressure of that, but if we trust that God is with us, that he is overcoming these odds, that you have a unique opportunity for influence. A few weeks ago, for our Mother's Day, uh, we did an interview with my wife uh, and then Pastor Stu's wife, Michelle. And she shared something that's just stuck with me over the last couple of weeks. We were asking the question, what do you do in a situation where you feel like as a mom, like you're not good enough? Like you have all these doubts about your ability as a mom. She said, one of the things that her and her mentor talk about and she just reminds herself often of is that God chose her to be her kid's mom. I remember when she told me that, I was like, that's profound. Think about that for a moment. Place yourself in that mindset that God chose you to be your kid's parent, to be the spouse to your spouse, to be the, the peer in your workplace. All of these different areas that God has chosen and placed you, and we believe then empowering you to have a profound impact in and through him. That the influence you have is so much greater than the influence someone else might have because you have the trust, you have the relationships. You have 167 hours a week outside of this building where you can have a unique and powerful influence. And we believe that God can prepare you and give you the tools and resources necessary to have that impact. The third doubt that Moses expresses after that is, okay, what if I don't have the skills? It goes on in, in chapter 4, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Like you're saying, okay, you're calling me to leadership, and, and I don't have the gift of speaking. I don't have the ability to speak to people. And listen to God's response. It's very direct. Verse 11, the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight? Or makes them blind. Is it not I, the Lord? Like this beautiful picture. He says, I, I created the heavens and the earth. Like you were literally talking to God through a burning bush. The God that created the heavens and the earth. The God that, that in Psalms it says, knit you together in your mother's room. Don't you think if I can do all of these things, if I can create everything that you see, don't you think if I'm that powerful, I can't help you with a few speeches and fix something that you feel like is broken? And here's the fascinating part that I'd love to take more time and spend on. It's the background of Moses in this situation. Uh, there's a great book that, that I'm using a lot of the background history from, uh, from Charles Swindoll called Great Lives from God's Word, and it's about Moses. If you're in our app, I actually put it at the bottom so you could see it as well. But think about the, the history that Moses had. For some of you, this might be review. But Moses himself, like I said, was born an Israelite in Egypt. Because his mom wasn't willing to kill him like she was supposed to, she put him in a basket and floated him down the river. He was found by the Pharaoh's daughter, who in turn raised him in her household. So he was raised in the household of Pharaoh. Here's two things that historians would believe. One is that he would have received the best possible education. People looked towards the Egyptian for how they educated. They called it the knowledge of the Egyptians. So he would have received that as someone within Pharaoh's household. He had this great deal of knowledge and education and preparedness. The second thing is this, that many people believe that Pharaoh didn't have any heirs. And so he was likely or possibly to be the Pharaoh himself. And what happened was he found himself at 40 years old seeing an Egyptian man attacking an Israelite and when he saw that, he killed that Egyptian. 
When Pharaoh found out about this, he tried to pursue him and tried to kill him. This man that had been raised in his household and and Moses flees to Midian where the Bible says he went and he sat next to the well. In Acts that we learn, we learn that uh, Moses at that point, at 40 years old, thought that through that action of killing the Egyptian, that his people would see that God had sent him to save them. So 40 years old, he feels like he's trying to live out his calling of trying to save his people. And he ends up defeated and sitting next to a well. And when we picked up the story at the beginning, we're 40 years later. And an 80-year-old man has had a lot of time to think about what happened. A lot of time to process this. So when he says, but what if I can't do all of these different things? He's looking back on 40 years of being raised in Pharaoh's household. And then 40 years to think about it. All of the different situations that God has brought him through that have prepared him for where he is now. And I think this is what it looks like when we're looking back in the rearview mirror. When we've gotten past something, we can see all of the situations that God has used in our life over and over and over again to prepare us for what it is he's calling us to. That God is using those things to prepare you to be the father, to be the mother, to be the spouse that he wants you to be. He is using all of those things to prepare you, that even though you might feel slow in speech and like you can't do it, he has gifted you with all of these opportunities to learn and to grow. The problem is oftentimes those are very painful experiences that shape us into who we are, but he uses those. One pastor says it this way, that God never wastes a hurt, that he has intention in how he uses all of the portions of our lives to shape us. But one of the things that we recognize is even if we can get past these doubts, even if we can can slow down and try to remind ourselves of of who God is, that oftentimes they don't go away instantly. And even when they do, sometimes they just just go away and we move on to the next thing that we doubt or the next thing that that holds us back because we don't see what it is God's doing. After this, Moses finally agrees to do what God is asking him to do with the help of his brother Aaron. And when he does that, if you know the story, the process of leading his people out of Egypt did not go smoothly. And after 10 plagues and and running from the Pharaoh with all of his people, all the Israelites, he finally uh, crosses the Red Sea as God parts that for him. They get through. And it's not like a happy ending. They spend the next 40 years wandering in the desert. In fact, at one point, the people say this. They say, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Like, We could have just stayed there if we knew we were just going to die. But what they don't see and what we oftentimes don't see is the bigger picture, the bigger plan, the way in which God is doing something, in this case, in and through these people that they couldn't even understand. That God is using that in a powerful, powerful way. And so here's our challenge this week. As we think about all of the different things that, that come into our mind and our identity, our challenge is this. Don't let your doubts speak louder than God's voice. Especially in your life. Don't let your doubts speak louder than God's voice. That everyone has doubts. Everyone has excuses. Every one of us knows and can probably voice our weaknesses and the reasons that something won't work or that something can't happen. But in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that our weakness is an opportunity for God to display his power. That if we have the humility 
to truly recognize that we are weak and that we need something beyond ourselves, then God can use that in a powerful, powerful way. The power of humility, humble submission. I remember the first time I was ever supposed to preach. I've never told this story before because uh, it's, it, it's an embarrassing one. But it was the first time I was ever supposed to preach, it was, it was on this stage. It was about five years ago. And I was the kid that, man, I hated speech class. There's a lot of you that could probably read. Give, give me a nod if you hated speech class. Okay. Like I would get physically sick. I remember being like so excited that I survived it. I have no idea what grade I got, but I made it through. That was good enough for me. And then George asked me to teach. It was about five years ago. And that day, as the band was finishing their song, I, I had an office that's right back through these doors here. As the band is finishing the last song and I'm preparing, I literally walked into my office, threw up in the trash can, and then walked out here. I probably like drank some Diet Coke or something between then. But I had that physical, and I had this, this feeling like, God, this is an opportunity for either for you to do something in my weakness, or this goes terrible and I never have to do it again. Either way, I'm cool with it. But that feeling that we have, that we just always wonder, like, I, I can't do this. I can't live into this calling. I can't live into the depth of this. And the humility to say, that is true on our own. But God offers us his presence, his partnership. And I think there's two ways to, to look at this. The most natural one when you hear this story is to look at it from, from the perspective of big decisions that you have to make in your life. Like when you find yourself at a crossroads, should I, should I take this job? Should I marry this person? Should I move to this place? You sit, you sit there and you go, God, would you give me that experience where you speak to me? My youth pastor, when I was growing up, used to say it this way. He'd say when he prayed, God's voice wasn't like an audible voice to him. It was louder than that. And I always thought, man, that sounds great. But that's our hope in these big situations. And as we reference this scripture and we look back on it, what we have to do is, is recognize those doubts that will come out naturally, those ways in which we'll feel it. But a more applicable way that I think we can look at the scripture for this week is to recognize the ways in which each and every day, each and every one of those 167 hours outside of this building, what are the doubts? What are the things that you tell yourself or other people are telling you that are holding you back from living the fullness of the identity that Christ has given you? Maybe these were just reminders. Maybe these are things that you resonate with. But what is it that allows you to not trust in God's power and his plan and his purpose for your life? And over the course of this week, how do I recognize that? How do I express that to God and say, would you free me from the burden of that and allow me to recognize that my weakness is an opportunity for your power? And so here's what I want to do. I want to read that scripture I read at the beginning, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. But I want to read it as directed towards you. I want you to hear this being spoken to you and about your life. Actually, will you bow your heads as I read this? I just want you to listen. and Let this truth wash over you. For you are God's handiwork. You are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Amen. As we continue in our service, we're going to take a time of communion. I think this is a beautiful opportunity for us to slow down and to reflect 
what does this actually mean? If I trust in this thing called the gospel, what does this mean? And if you didn't get the elements on the way in, you can grab those in the back now. We have ushers back there that can help you. But God's word says he gave us this as an expression, a reminder. It says that every time we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until the day that he comes. For some of you, this is an opportunity to to think back on years of faithfulness and God's faithfulness to you over years after year after year. The way in which which he has been there with you, the way in which he's supported you. Maybe today this is an opportunity to, to, to push some of those doubts out. You don't have to be a member here at Bethany to take communion. All that we ask is that you only do this if you've made a decision to follow Jesus. This is an expression of that decision. If you haven't, if you heard me use that word, the gospel, if you were listening to these songs and and you wanna know more, you wanna ask questions, our pastors or myself would love to talk to you because we believe that's the most important decision you can make today to step into a relationship with him. But if you've done that, we take this communion as a reflection and a reminder of that. I'm gonna read this scripture and then we'll have a few moments of quiet and then we'll have you take those elements during this next song whenever you're ready. In 1 Corinthians, it says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'd like to take a few moments and just have a quiet time of reflection. Bow your heads and just reflect. God, I pray this would be a moment of affirmation, a moment of reminder of who you are in our lives. Maybe for some people, this is a reminder of the way in which you brought them faithfully through situation after situation after situation to place them here and now, God. But for some people, maybe they're in the middle of something. And this is a a time of, of lament and saying, God, I'm in a hard season right now, but in that season, in my weakness, I am praying that your strength will be visible. And this bread and this cup is a sign and a reflection in your truth and your gospel and your death and resurrection. God, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen. You can take these whenever you're ready during the next song.